I'm not saying best body is the thinnest body. I don't think best body for a dancer is in, is, you know, a scary skinny or anything like that. I think that for dancers, being a whole dancer and reaching your best body is about dancing with energy and feeling good and happy and joyful in your movement and making sure that you are enjoying food and respecting food and your body and you've developed a positive mindset around those things. Welcome to the podcast for ballerinas, adult ballerinas, parents of ballerinas, and everyone in between. I'm your host, Georgia Canning, also known as the Balanced Ballerina, and it's my mission to break down the elitist barriers often associated with ballet. Through my own studios and ballet-related businesses, I'm all about providing space and content for people from all walks of life to experience and enjoy the many benefits of ballet. Each month, I'll bring you industry leaders and thought-provoking guests who will hopefully inspire you to lead a more balanced life, full of grace, with a little grit. Hello, beautiful balanced ballerinas. How are you holding up? If you're listening to this in the uh, distant future, I just thought I'd let you know that we are all currently living through the 2020 COVID-19 pandemic. It's a really strange time. And uh, every time I go to do an interview, I think, let's keep it light. Let's, you know, stay away from the doom and gloom of coronavirus. But then it reverts back to conversations about isolation, supporting small business and staying healthy, mind, body and spirit throughout this time. The topic is kind of unavoidable and I feel like if you brush over it or ignore it altogether, it's almost insensitive to your podcast guest, your family member or friend. And look, I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm exhausting people by asking how they're doing or being insensitive by not asking. Maybe that's why everyone is so tired. We're all trying to navigate each other's feelings and expectations around all this. Although essential, I'm finding out that empathy can be emotionally (laughs) exhausting. Anyway, if you want to listen to an episode that has very little to do with the current state of the world, um, I suggest go listening to episode number 42 with Finus Young. He's the 82-year-old iconic ballet teacher from New York City who is showing absolutely no signs of slowing down. And I thought I'd just recommend it because I've received so much lovely feedback and people say it was such a good, feel-good story during this time. And so, yeah, if you haven't already done so, go listen. It's an incredible story and an absolute treat. Now, on to today's also gorgeous guest, Jess Spinner is the founder of The Whole Dancer and an ex-professional ballerina with Louisville Ballet. Jess began her journey into nutrition and health coaching when she had to leave behind the world of professional ballet due to an injury. Jess is a fully qualified health coach with over 11 years of experience behind her working with dancers from top companies such as New York City Ballet, Pacific Northwest Ballet, Miami City Ballet, American Ballet Theatre, Boston Ballet Company, 
as well as aspiring young ballerinas and adult ballet dancers from all around the world. Jess and I actually have a lot in common. Our businesses were both born out of a gap in the industry. A gap that we only discovered needed feeling because we experienced the pain and anguish of not feeling balanced or whole. I love how these two words are interchangeable throughout this conversation. Like myself, Jess struggled with body positivity, confidence and food choices as a young professional dancer. And through research, study, discipline and innovation with her business has created a community that supports and encourages young dancers to find their wholeness, to find their balance, their best body, which you'll find out in this discussion is not surprisingly different for everyone. In this conversation, Jess and I do focus on the additional challenges during this particular time whilst navigating food choices and body positivity during a pandemic, but Jess also helps us define in general health and success in the broader sense with a sprinkle of confidence boosters, common sense advice and really helpful suggestions. One thing that I'm incredibly passionate about is looking at each dancer as a whole package which is why I love Jess's business name, The Whole Dancer. Now, as you'll hear towards the end of this conversation, I feel very passionately about parents contributing to burnout culture by signing their child up to dance classes every night of the week and prioritising competitions every weekend and crystal embellished expensive lyrical costumes over, say, an appointment with a nutritionist, a physiotherapist or a psychologist. I also feel strongly about the adult ballerina who may have a niggle in their hip and after one consultation with an acupuncturist says, oh, it it really worked. He was great, but it costs too much. So, you know, I won't go again. I'll just manage it to only show up at their next class with a brand new leotard and a dance bag. The common excuse is, oh, it costs too much, or I don't have time for that service. But those excuses, look, they just don't fly with me when it's so obvious that you do have the money and you do have the time, but instead you're choosing to prioritise things that in the end don't matter and don't serve your tool, which is your body. Considering a dancer's body is their tool, I guess I just don't understand why people don't invest more in these services, in these experts. They're so valuable. But is it because the product isn't tangible? I'm probably asking the wrong crowd. I'm probably preaching right now to the absolute converted. Because as balanced ballerinas and as parents trying to create little balanced ballerinas, you probably already know the worth of these services and if you're a regular listener of the podcast, you most likely already prioritise taking care of yourself. Surprisingly, or not, I'm not sure, well-being is a relatively new concept in the dance world and we still have so much work to do. But all I'm going to say is that confidence, elegance and control in a simple old black leotard goes so much further than an exhausted, injury-ridden, puffy-eyed dancer trying to hold their life together one Tchaikovsky crystal at a time. Anyway, 
There's my little rant in case I'm not clear during the conversation and one of the reasons why I love Jess and her work so much is because she's on the same page and wholeheartedly agrees. Even though the Balanced Ballerinas community is global, I know a lot of listeners are Australian, so I just wanted to point out that Jess takes clients from all around the world and if you're interested in a nutritionist with a dancer's mindset that knows what you need, well... I couldn't recommend her highly enough. Find Jess on Instagram at The Whole Dancer and more at thewholedancer.com. Here's my conversation with the lovely Jess. Welcome to the Balanced Ballerinas podcast. Uh, and um, this feels like a bit of a COVID edition these days, considering where I'm always conducting them via Zoom. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, for sure. I'm always apologizing to everyone for the um, the fact that the quality isn't quite up to scratch. And I would have loved to have, you know, met you in person on my travels, but we are here today yeah. and <laughs> we will do what we do. But um, I really wanted to first start with um, the word whole. So... Mm. The word whole is really similar, I guess, to the word balance and in the way that it really looks at the dancer from, you know, uh, varying um, angles, many angles and taking care of them, I guess, mind, body, you know, and spirit. And so I think it's quite nice to talk to you because your brand, The Whole Dancer, is very similar, I guess, to the idea and the concept behind Balanced Ballerinas. So um, did you choose the word whole for a specific reason? I'm just curious. I mean, it is mostly what you said. You know, I think that when I was dancing and pursuing dance, I was not a whole person. I really, you know, I had single-minded focus. And at the same time, you know, when I got stressed out about dance, I didn't have very um, productive ways of coping with it or healthy ways of coping with it. And I think that, you know, dancers define themselves as dancers. The whole time we're pursuing dance as students and then dancing professionally, we say, I'm a dancer, right? And we don't necessarily think we can have other parts to ourselves and we don't give ourselves time to develop and cultivate other interests and and even you know develop and cultivate ways of caring for ourselves and our needs as just like humans and so i think that the whole in the whole dancer really comes from that idea that in order to be the best dancer you can possibly be you have to take care of your whole self, which as you said, it's like, it's mind, body, it's spirit. It's, um, you know, it's like food, it's, it's mindset. It's just so many things beyond technique and beyond what you do in the studio. And it's a relatively new concept really in the dance world, isn't it? Which is baffling, mm-hmm. but yeah. I, I've, I always describe dances as really one of the only let's just use the word sports, you know, for, for context where you're expected to look like a supermodel and yet train like a professional athlete. Yeah. So it's, um, it's something, the, the idea of wholeness and the idea of balance was exactly the same as you. I found it really lacking. And so I guess that's why, you know, balance became 
my branding because it's that idea of looking at the dancer and whether they're, you know, a young eight-year-old dancing or whether they're a professional ballerina, they still have to have that idea of whole and making sure that, you know, you're, you're taking care of everything because I feel like we're, we're starting to realize that everything functions a lot better <laughs> when you've got a bit of balance in all those little like departments. <laughs> Absolutely. And like you said, it is still new. And I've, you know, I've had the whole dancer now for almost five years, which feels crazy to me, but I would say even in those five years, I've seen some positive shifts. That being said, at the same time, I do get new clients every week who come to me and say, you know, my teacher said to do this in order to be thinner or like they gave me this feedback that, you know, I need to be thinner. Like, you know, there's just still so much of a message that I think is, is coming from um, teachers and sometimes artistic staff and, and people in positions of power that is not necessarily promoting balance. And part of it is just that culture that ballet has come from and like the history and the, um, the sort of drilling into us that ballet is all it can, it's all you can do. It's all you, if you want to be a dancer, it's all you can do and all you can have. And, and, you know, you have to sacrifice and not eat cake and, you know, all these things. So, um, it's it's evolving it's getting i think it's moving in a positive direction but you know it still needs a lot of work so i was glad when i came across your podcast because i was like oh good balance i love it <laughs> thanks yeah. i um yeah i felt very similar when i came across your work so i um i wanted to sort of sort of start our conversation off with you know at the time of recording this um obviously if you're listening to this at a very different time during you know all of this but we are currently at the time of recording in the midst of the you know COVID-19 pandemic and um I just wanted to start with how you know how is your business and and what do your days look like at the moment with in regards to coaching and your clients and and further on what are they struggling with right now and what are you finding yourself having to help them navigate i think that you know as far as the whole dancer as a business my focus has been on trying to serve dancers in this time as much as i can and you know like provide a lot of resources both free and paid and and just like give them things that i think can can make them feel less alone Uh, and i've also recognized that for some of them you know they haven't signed up for a program with me in the past because time has been an issue like you know and you know sometimes dancers reach out to me directly and have that issue sometimes they hear from parents you know my my daughter or son is in school and then they're dancing and like i don't think they really would have time to like dedicate to this. So for some, it's been an opportunity, you know, Mm. where maybe they were like, yeah, like take care of the, even though I know how important it is, I'll take care of the food and mindset and body image stuff later on. And, you know, I just like don't have time for it. But right now some are saying, oh, well, you know what, I do have time for this. And, and, and now it is to a degree even more needed because those who struggle with Uh, food and body image stuff it's like getting worse right now and when you're isolated and you're not connecting with people who you're used to seeing 
it just is that much more challenging to cope. So, you know, I've had with my clients, I've had a lot of that stuff where it's, it's like, you know, I'm home all the time and I don't even have any of these distractions or like positive things that I would go out and do. How do I navigate that? And then I just want to sit on the couch and eat. (laughs) Right, right, right. Yeah. You know, how do I motivate myself? Motivation has been a big thing. Um, And then I think also just kind of like creating positive schedules and routines. And at the same time, acknowledging that this is like, this whole situation is very stressful and anxiety inducing for most people, even people who are not fully aware of when they're in those moments of stress and anxiety. So allowing them to like, to know that like, it's okay if there are days when you're not motivated, but when that happens, who can you reach out to for support? Who can you talk to? Um, You know, like what, what's going to help you get out of the funk? Yeah, I feel like um, routine and schedule and support, like I'll pull those three words out of what you just said. I feel like they're key. I know that um, even myself, like I'm not a professional dancer. I'm just a general, you know, human being that when all this happened, I'm used to going to the gym five days a week and I can't go to my gym anymore. And I had all this extra time to cook and (laughs) make nice dinners for me and my partner. And all of a sudden, you know, I just had a bit of a panic and I was like, Oh my God, like I am going to spiral out of control here. I mean, it was Mm -hmm. never going to happen, but for me personally, I was like, I need to get a handle on this. And, and, but then it's really hard because you don't want to become obsessive. Do you know what I mean? It's like, again, finding that balance. (laughs) I use that word constantly. Finding that balance between being aware of what you're putting in your mouth, but not becoming obsessive about it. Um, Mm -hmm. Me personally, I've struggled with that my entire life, (laughs) which is why, you know, which is, which was one of the main reasons for even starting Balanced Ballerinas was you know, because if I'm struggling with this, there's going to be about a bazillion other people. And it's really hard pressed to find a dancer or a dance teacher or someone in, you know, a career path where your body is your tool, who's not obsessive about that. But then I also Mm -hmm. find it's really even a more generalized conversation because I'm finding more and more that even people who aren't in an industry where their body is their tool, they are just as obsessed. And so from your point of view, Jess, you're the expert. What, mm. what do we need? What tools can we use to, I don't know, strike that balance? Do you know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, I think you're so right too, that it's not, it's not just a dancer thing. I think for dancers, it can just kind of go to a whole nother level. Cause when you're looking at yourself in a mirror, in a leotard and tights, you know, six days a week, that's going to have an impact. And especially when, like we said, you know, artistic staff and teachers and and people who uh, you respect and who you're learning from and and taking all that you can from give you some messages that you should look this way or you should do these things in order to achieve this end of dancing professionally. And like, and then also drilling it into you that, you know, only so many people make it and it's, 
not easy and all of that. Uh, so I think that for dancers and normal people, one of the biggest things that has to happen is, you know, you have to look at food as a, a balance between balance, love it, between uh, <laughs> your between fuel and enjoyment. Because I think that for dancers, it's really important that we see that what we put into our bodies matters because when you're using your body at the level of an athlete, your fuel is important. And, you know, this is something that I have heard from, you know, top professional dancers who I've had these conversation, conversations with where, you know, they've said, once I recognized that I should be giving myself premium fuel, the way I looked at food shifted. Um, and then, you know, yes, premium fuel and you want to be eating I always say your healthy food should not be like something you need to cheat from. If your healthy food is like steamed vegetables with no flavor and plain chicken, yeah, you're going to want to cheat and, mm -hmm. and eat something mm -hmm. bad. You know, ideally, our healthy food should be just as delicious and um, satisfying as things that we indulge on. Uh, and so I think that once you establish healthy meals that you really love eating, you'll still maybe want to indulge in some sweets if you have a sweet tooth or some chips if you like the salty stuff, but you'll be less likely to be like going crazy on it. Uh, it's also important for everyone, dancers and other people, to say to yourself, even if you don't want to eat every food that's out there, saying to yourself that you can eat any food that's out there is is important when we say oh I can't eat ice cream and for me when I was it was weird I don't know it was a fat phobic thing eating dietary fat so in college I would not I was like I can't eat peanut butter and then I lived with five roommates who would all have like five different jars of peanut butter and I like wouldn't buy one and then I would go in the kitchen and be like there's all this peanut butter here and, and I would eat my eat own peanut, peanut butter. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, Oh my God, like what's wrong with me? You know, so like it had a whole another level of, of just like self deprecation and feeling like I was cheating and ruining things that I believed in or whatever. Um, but when, when we have things that we say we can't eat and that they're off limits, that's what happens. We just like can't resist them. And, you know, I hear from dancers who have the same kind of thing with nut butter and then they're like, and then I ate half the jar and it's like, yeah, when, that's what's going to happen. And it's not, it doesn't even feel good to eat half a jar of peanut butter, but if you're telling yourself, I can never eat this, that's what happens. So I think that it, it really has to become about finding that healthy food that you love and enjoy and does satisfy you like 90% of the time. And then knowing that really you can eat whatever you want anytime. So when cake comes around and you're like, hmm, you know what, I want some cake. You'll have a slice of cake or you'll take a slice of cake and you'll have a couple of bites and be like, you know what, this isn't the best cake I've ever had. And you'll move on. Yeah. yeah. I um, also takes time. Yeah, yes, it definitely does. I found that um, I used to be that girl that was like, when I sort of started becoming a, bit more conscious of what I was choosing as fuel I think a lot of people do this as soon as you switch to fuel you do I find go through that phase of chicken veg and it's super boring and it's super bland and you just can't stick to it and right. I did that and then you'd get to the weekend and you'd be like 
I'm going to smash that bag of salt and vinegar chips because I deserve it. Because <laughs> all week I, I ate my chicken and my broccoli. And then all of a sudden after you, you know, big packet of chips, you've also polished off four muffins and then you're ordering like takeaway for dinner and you're like, oh my gosh, back to square one. And then you punish yourself again yeah. for the week. And so I think my real journey about um, my real uh, turning point, I guess, was when I started actually eating, not for what my body looked like, but actually my skin, that was a real trigger mm. for me. And yeah. so when I started really, cause I suffer from eczema and when I really started delving into, you know, the good oils and essential fats and what I should take out and what I should put in. And my food became, I guess, more flavorsome and probably even a lot healthier than my chicken and veg and all the nice oils and it tasted better. And then I actually found that I didn't need to go and binge. That was a big turning point for me. And I think sometimes that can help, you know, people um, by giving yourself a different focus I know that really helped me yeah Yeah. and that reminds me I was just looking back actually at an interview that I had done with the dancer from New York City Ballet Janelle Manzi and she had talked about her journey with food and for her like you know she really appeared to be someone who as far as like the body it didn't seem like it was a challenge for her to maintain where she needed to be or wanted to be as a dancer but with injury she had a major inflammation response uh, when she was injured or, or just like she said, she, she would have like achy joints a lot of the time. And when she shifted her consumption, mostly of sugar and gluten, uh, she noticed a big difference in how she felt and how her body responded to injury and, and her levels of inflammation and all of that. So, you know, for her, like you said, it was a motivation. It wasn't even about like, oh, I want to reach this body. It was like, oh, I want to not be injured. And I want to like feel good in my body when I'm dancing. And, you know, she also found a way to prepare indulgent and functional foods. So she like makes all of these incredible dessert recipes, but with premium ingredients, like the best possible stuff you're going to eat, like the best there are better sugar options. And so like using those kinds of things and, you know, definitely her, right. Her motivation is about feeling good and dancing well and, and, you know, like not getting injured, which I think is also a great motivation behind truly healthy eating and fuel. That's not necessarily boring and bland. Yeah. Let's, um, before we go any further, I'd love you to define what your version of the ideal whole dancer looks like. Mm. I mean, you know, so for me, I think that, and, and something that I talk about at the whole dancer, because it's, it's like the main program that I have is the dancer's best body program. And so I've, you know, made sure to define for people that I'm not saying best body is the thinnest body. I don't think best body for a dancer is in is, you know, a scary skinny or anything like that. I think that for dancers, being a whole dancer and reaching your best body is about dancing with energy and feeling good and happy and joyful in your movement and making sure that you are enjoying food and respecting food and your body and you've developed a positive mindset around those things. So often, you know, it is just kind of, it's so easy to become a little bit self or a lot 
self-abusive in dance. And so I think that when we are practicing self-care and giving ourselves the time to recover and, and acknowledging that it doesn't have to be just go, go, go all the time and food should not be extreme and, and we find balance, it, it really it makes such a difference in how you show up and how you perform and the level of achievement you'll be able to get to. Um, I mean, I think that dancers should, as far as defining things, I think dancers should su define success for themselves and know that success doesn't have to be, you know, even getting into a paid company position, like success can really be whatever you want to define it as. And I think that that's true for um, health and our, and our best bodies as well. So how do you define respecting food? So I think that it's got to be about, um, I mean, I talk a lot about the quality of the food choices that you're making. And I think that, you know, not just choosing food that is um, like cheap and not nourishing. Uh, and I think that you want to make choices in food that are, are um, they go back, it goes both ways, right? The respect that you have for food is reflected back. So I think you have to make sure that you're choosing food that you know is going to do something positive for your body most of the time. We want to be mindful with food. And so I think that when you sit down to a meal, you want to pay attention to what you're doing. You want to take in the tastes and the smells and have like a moment for yourself. That's actually in the whole dancers, I have like a seven step process for reaching body goals and reaching your personal best body. And that's what I teach in the dancers best body program. But um, the mindfulness piece and having that uh, respect for the food that you're consuming and knowing that, you know, also knowing that you don't have to finish everything on your plate and you don't have to be wasteful in those moments when you don't finish everything on your plate, you can save food and have leftovers and, you know, and respect the food and, and the food system in that way as well. Definitely. So Jess, if we're like respecting food and we're trying to make good food choices, how do we know? So how do we know what is a good food choice? What are your, you know, if you can't say maybe afford, um, you know, a coach right now, what are some like key things that, you know, young dancers can sort of, and just general public <laughs> take away when they're making their food choices? I think that you have to just keep it simple as much as you can and focus. I'm a big plant-based eating advocate. I don't think you have to be vegan or vegetarian, but I do think that there's so much value in putting a lot of focus on plant foods and whole foods. So, you know, if you create your meals around single ingredient foods, which, you know, are things like brown rice, quinoa, beans. These are things that don't have processing or additives going on. Uh, and then, of course, fruits, vegetables, all of that. When you put the focus on those single ingredient foods and those whole foods, it kind of takes the guesswork out. Like, you don't have to be like, oh, is this good for me? Is this bad for me? Like, single ingredient foods that don't have any additives, 99% of the time, I'm trying to think of something that would not be good you know the majority of the time they're going to be excellent options 
And then, like I said, as far as taste and flavor goes, that's another key. So like, okay, don't just grab a bunch of single ingredient foods and put them together and be like, okay, this is it. You know, it's my bowl of rice and vegetables and beans and like, that's it. You've got to then add, I'm like all about sauces. So, you know, you can whip up some uh, sauce with like a tahini or uh, avocado. There are so many options, like there are so many resources online for delicious um, sauces that you can add to these things. And I do also advocate for mostly plant-based sauces just because it also takes the guesswork out. Like you don't have to question, how's my body going to react to this? Most of the time they work for most people. You know, other things sometimes have to be questioned. Sometimes dairy doesn't work for people. Sometimes gluten doesn't work for people. But when you put that focus on plant-based sauces, it makes it a little bit easier to not sort of have the fear of, oh, this might create inflammation in my body or this might not agree with me digestively. What does cause inflammation in general? I mean, generally speaking, I know it's different for everybody, but what do you find are really flammable foods for the body? (laughs) Well, you know, as far as inflammatory foods, things like gluten, things like sugar, things like dairy are, are, are all things that should be questioned. And, you know, I say you have to pay, I, I think dancers have to become experts on their own bodies. I, I actually wrote a blog post today that was like, you don't have to be an expert in nutrition. You have to be an expert on how your body responds to food. And I love that. It takes time also, you know, and it's like an experimentation process. And that's something that I work with dancers on as well. Um, And so, you know, there are those foods that may or may not be and may to different degrees be inflammatory for people. And then uh, there are also there's also the fact that, you know, dance and exercise by nature creates inflammation. So we have to think about how we're eating and how it's going to combat that inflammation. Mm, Yeah. I, um, it's, it's very similar. The foods that cause inflammation and that we want to avoid are also, um, key foods in, you know, if you're treating any skin conditions or anything, cause I guess yep. that's just inflammation, isn't it? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. I, um, I wanted to touch on your suggestions for dances in regards to confidence boosters um you know just especially I think during this time there's probably a lot of people like I sort of touched on at the start of the conversation thinking oh my gosh like all this work I've done has gone downhill or my body's slightly changing and I mean personally I think I mean I've come to terms with this I've become a little bit nicer to myself because I've gone from a very busy you know running classes for five hours every evening and hitting the gym every morning to a rather sedentary for me lifestyle where, but you know, but I'm doing other things. I'm having more interviews for my podcast and I'm writing more blog posts and yeah. And so I'm sort of being a little bit nicer to myself. (laughs) And if my body changes slightly during this time, that's okay. But what would, you know, but obviously still trying to keep, um, keep on top of it, you know, what would mm-hmm. your suggestion be, you know, in regards to confidence boosters, boosters and thoughts during this time, especially? I mean, I think that it's awesome that you have in this time come to be a bit nicer to yourself. And I think that if dancers could, could work on that during this time as well, it could be massively beneficial for them moving forward. 
I have said, you know, it's not likely that you'll be in exactly the same shape that you were in prior to this, because most of us don't have full dance studios at home. You know, like we see dancers on Instagram who it's like, what does she have going on in her house that there's like oh all this God. space that she's using? You know, seriously, I've seen some and I'm like, I'm a dance teacher. This is my entire life. And I don't even have that set up at home. Like, <laughs> this right. is incredible, especially what some of these kids have. I would have killed when I was a young dancer. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, okay, there are a handful of people who have that going on. Most of us don't. And it's okay for you to get back in the studio and not be in as good of shape as you were in prior to this. Like, even the ones who have some space are not really doing Grand Allegro. So that's a big missing piece. And, you know, there are just, you know, depending on your floors at home, maybe you shouldn't have been doing Petit Allegro at home, you know, so there are all these things. And I think that if you can use this time to say to yourself, you know what, in the course of life, your body is going to change. Like there are going to be stressful situations that cause shifts in food or shifts in hormones that are going to change your body. If you have a baby, your body's going to change. It will be forever changed. And, you know, there are just so many ups and downs. And the better you get at accepting that and weathering that and knowing that, you know, taking care of your mental health and taking care of your physical health as best you can is the best you can do for yourself. As, as someone whose entire life's work, you know, you're working with dancers about their bodies, about nutrition, et cetera, et cetera. How did you find having your baby in that process? It was, it was actually a challenge. It was interesting because I was like, I'll be fine because I'm so like past it and I'm over the body's negativity stuff and I'm, you know, like super comfortable and confident in my skin um, you know, pregnancy itself was great. And only towards the end was I kind of like, whoa, I don't know, like this, this is intense. Um, and I started to be like, did I get bigger than I had to, you know, like, when you're nine plus months pregnant, it, it's not easy to be like, oh, yeah, whatever, I'm fine. I had moments when I was like, this is a lot. Um, but you remind yourself in those times that it's like, I'm housing a human and like, whatever she needs, it's fine. Like, my body will be fine. It's not the most important thing right now. Um, and then after I had a period of time, like, obviously, again, you're like very focused on something else. I was like fully focused in on my child, but uh, probably like the first two months after she was born, I was like, is my body going to get near where it was before? Like you just, there's just all this uncertainty. And um, it was really the first time in probably uh, like eight years that I had those kinds of thoughts and like worries. Um, but having been in a good place for eight years, I was able to sort of talk myself down and say, it's going to be fine. Like, you'll figure it out. You know how to eat and like, you know how to exercise and, and you'll get to a place where you feel strong and more confident again. And I do, you know, now I'm, my child is, she's 10 and a half month old, which is crazy. And, and I very much feel like 
I'm in a good place, even with quarantine. And like you said, I'm in a similar situation where I was definitely more active prior to this whole situation, but I'm, I'm still, I'm like, okay, once we can get back out and I can do some of the same things I was doing before and like workouts and stuff like that, it'll be fine. What, what are you personally, I'm just curious, doing at home during this time? Um, like in regards to your exercise or food or? Yeah. So food, and this is what I've said to dancers who have asked me about food as well. It has stayed the same for me. And I think that, you know, dancers, if you're not at the same uh, energy expenditure as you were in prior to this, if you listen to your body, it's likely that you will naturally eat a bit less than what you were eating before. Uh, so I said, kind of like start with where you were before, but with each meal, pay attention and know that you don't have to finish everything, but truly listen to your body and don't just be like, oh, I should eat less. So I'm going to stop eating now. Uh, and that's how I've kind of been with myself as well. Just like paying attention and, you know, eating when I'm hungry and stopping when I'm before I'm full. Uh, that's the best way that I find to kind of find to keep that uh, equal or that like even place with food. Uh, as far as exercise, I've done some ballet bar here and there. I do some like yoga Pilates stuff uh, just kind of on my own. I try to like fit in weird little exercises while my baby is crawling around and playing, you know, like I just like will do movements. She likes when I do ballet arms, she finds it like really funny. Um, <laughs> like that kind of stuff. Um, but, and then we are going for walks. You know, I think that unless you have like underlying health conditions that it's kind of dangerous for you to be out and about at all, I do think that it's really good for people to go for a walk and get outside. Definitely. Um, so you said that's a really, you know, that's really great advice that you're giving, you know, your clients and your general whole dancer community that if, you know, if you aren't, you know, expending as much energy as you usually do, like, yeah, your body will naturally just sort of want less, especially when, you know, I found that um, personally, I, when I'm teaching, I sort of need snacks to keep me going and to keep my energy yeah. levels up. And so, you know, I would teach for a couple of hours and then have a muesli bar and then I teach for a couple of hours and I have an apple. And so I'd had, mm -hmm. I'd have little sprinkles of snacks throughout the day and the snacks at the moment are gone. I just don't right. need them before I know it. It's lunch before I know it. It's dinner and I don't need right. those snacks. So, and that's just, I had, didn't even think about that. It just naturally happened which is good <laughs> yeah yeah and those are the kinds of adjustments that I think have have happened for dancers many dancers as well because like yeah dancers tend to do the, the same kind of like snacking between rehearsals and stuff and it's just not as much maybe needed um not to say they shouldn't be snacking if they want to or need to or are hungry for a snack but like you said I think that it's uh much more likely that they'll be able to go from meal to meal and not necessarily need those like little pick-me-ups throughout the day. Mm. I wanted to ask you um, about your spectrum of clients. Like mm. I think that maybe there might be a few people that listen to this episode and they might go, oh, Jess is for, you know, a professional dancer in New York City Ballet. Um, but no, right. you, you coach a lot of different dancers 
and yeah. um, from all walks of life. Do you want to, you know, obviously without giving any specific clients away, <laughs> just yeah. give us a little insight into, you know, your um, variety of clients. Yeah. So, I mean, I have, I have worked with dancers from some of the top companies in the States, which is awesome. And then I do work with a lot of pre-professional dancers uh, from around the world, in fact. And I have worked with dancers in Australia and the UK and Germany and um, Spain. So like all over, uh, which is really cool. And then I've also had, you know, a handful of um, like adult dancers. And um, yeah, it's a nice mix, actually. Uh, but I think that dancer, so many dancers benefit from work outside of the studio, especially on like relationship to food and, uh, making those shifts in lifestyle around food and knowing that like it should be prioritized and like how to fit that in, in normal circumstances when they are crazy busy. And like I said, I do kind of think like right now it's kind of an opportunity for a lot of dancers who don't always feel like they have the time to work on this kind of thing or to, you know, sit down and be like, okay, like what would I eat in a week if I had more time to cook? And then when we get back to our normal schedules, how could I work those things in and make sure that I still am, you know, planning and, and cooking and, and stuff like that. So it's a, it's a great opportunity to shift some of that focus from, you know, technique, 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 and um, put it on nourishing ourselves in a more healthy way. Mm. I 100% agree with you that I find the healthiest and the best performing dancers are the ones that spend a lot of time on themselves and their work outside the studio. Yeah. It's funny having my my particular dance studio here in Australia, I'm very cautious and careful about the amount of hours that a student who wants to do everything, like all genres and how mm. often they're at the studio and training. And yeah. they're set at very um, realistic and very healthy um, hours. And there's a lot of studios that there's kids dancing every night for, you know, three, four hours and on the weekends and Mm-hmm. And then they don't have their, A, they're burning out, but B, they actually right. don't have time to go visit a nutritionist. They don't have time mm-hmm. to go visit the physio for that niggling injury or, you know, they don't right. have time for um, therapy or counseling or all these, you know, mindset training or all these little things that, that add up. And, and I find too, with that sort of group of, of student and parents and that kind of culture because they're spending so much money too on, you know, training and private lessons and um, dance competitions and, you know, the list goes on and on. They right. view these wellness, I'm using quotation marks, <laughs> um, yeah. topics such as mindset or nutrition or um, any kind of maintenance, whether that's acupuncture or physio or whatever, mm-hmm. they view that as a last resort or a not a necessary expense whereas I tend to flip that and I think that is far more important than any dance competition or new sparkly tutu yeah 
I agree. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I had teamed up with somebody and she had talked about how, you know, yeah, it's nice to have like a new Yumiko leotard, but think about what the investment in your health and wellness could do for you in the long term. I mean, mm -hmm. and, and from a body image perspective, the leotard doesn't do that much if you don't already feel good about the person inside of it. So Exactly. It really yeah. baffles me. And I guess it also probably really frustrates me when I come across um, a dancer who says, I can't afford a nutritionist or I can't afford right. to go seek some, you know, um, therapy. But then they've, yeah, got a new pair of ballet shoes every second week and a new leotard and a new yeah. you know the latest hair thing or the latest leg warmer and I'm like oh like <laughs> yeah our bodies are our tools you need to look look after them like and I just I think sometimes it's nice to remind everyone look I'm not trying to tell people where their priorities should lie but I just really believe that so many people would be so much better off with a little bit more there's the word again, balance and just a little bit more thought into their priority list and, and spend the money on, you know, some beautiful organic food rather than, you know, a new bow for their hair. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and you spoke to the burnout thing as mm. well, which I think that, you know, it's so easy for dancers to push and push and push and then like get the professional job and then be like oh my god like it doesn't stop here you know like I think sometimes there's not that realization that getting into the company doesn't mean that uh the work is over or that it's going to be easy then and so when you do that and then you get there it's it's then becomes such a challenge to stay in that position because you've not done the work or spent the time or invested in yourself in those other ways that give you the resilience to stay in that position and to like maintain it. So it is about long-term, you know, and it's about what yeah. you want for yourself as a dancer and how you would like to feel in your dancing, whether it's career or just, you know, a pursuit for fun uh finding that that way of, of supporting yourself definitely definitely um couldn't have said it better myself <laughs> um i i sort of always worry a little bit sometimes when i have these discussions for the podcast that it might trigger mm. you know a bit of disordered eating a little bit to i've spoken earlier in in our conversation about becoming a bit obsessive yeah what one of my last questions was sort of what do you find is crossing the line? Do you know what I mean? Sometimes, for example, I like to keep myself on track. And if I feel like I've sort of fallen off the bandwagon, I'll pull out my notebook that week and I will write down what I've eaten. And it just helps me get back on track. But sometimes I think, oh, is that a bit like obsessive, Georgia? <laughs> like, is that a bit disordered? I don't know. Like, what? What's your view on that? I think that some food journaling, as long as it's not centered around 
calories or macronutrients. I think that mm. if you're writing down things, and then I also actually like to do this with clients where they write things down and they note how they're feeling physically and yeah. emotionally prior to, during, and after eating that. So as long as that writing is not centered on like, oh, I want to eat less and I want to check the numbers. Yeah. I think that it can be okay as a mindfulness exercise, as like a way to just be like, okay, I'm now I'm paying attention again to what I'm doing. Uh, because I think that there can be times when, you know, we get crazy busy and then we're not paying super close attention or we're like, we do become stressed out and we start to like stress eat and, and um, eat mindlessly and, and, you know, just like let it all go. Uh, and I think that a little bit of writing around that can be helpful. I think that even beyond food journaling, it can be helpful to just be like, write about how you're feeling and like journal period and be like, yeah. you know, what's coming up with me around food? Am I having any stuff going on mentally around my body? Um, with the disordered eating stuff, I think that what happens for dancers most often is it's like the control thing and it's also and sometimes that's tied to the stress and it's like if they're in their first professional job and they don't feel like they're performing well or they're not getting cast well or you know they're afraid the artistic director is going to let them go because all of those things happen so easily and then food becomes something they can control that's obviously dangerous and disordered territory and then I think it can also just become very easily restrictive for dancers because we, I'm not into, you know, the whole eat less, move more idea. Like, I just don't think that it works, mm. period. And especially for dancers because it just gets dangerous too easily. And um, it's too easy for us to say, well, I just, I shouldn't eat that. That's a bad food. I'm going to only stick to X, Y, and Z, or I'm going to only stick to X number of calories. And it, it's easy for it to get into a sort of downward spiral. Yeah, no. Okay, cool. So my, so my slight journaling for uh, mindfulness eating is okay. <laughs> Every now yeah, and then. Yeah. <laughs> right. I think yeah. that, like you said, as long as it's not like, counting the numbers and yeah and saying, oh I should eat 200 calories less for whatever reason because I think that we just come up with like crazy things sometimes yeah 100% no my, my journaling has no numbers don't worry <laughs> it's yeah I um I always ask my guests Jess um what is your number one tip for leading a balanced life oh wow that's a great question. And I feel like I could, there are so many things that I would want to share. Uh, I think number one tip for leading a balanced life is to tune into yourself. And, you know, the better you get to know yourself, the better you will be at, you know, saying no to things that don't serve you, at creating boundaries that are healthy. You'll, the better you'll be at, uh, you know, tuning into what foods work for you, what um, a balanced meal plan is for you, what movement feels good for you. 
what you intuitively should be moving towards next in your life, what you intuitively should be saying no to. Um, so I think, yeah, that would be my number one thing. Tune into you and like, you know, stay on your own path and know that it really doesn't matter what balance looks like for anyone else. Yeah. Awesome. I love it. I, um, I wanted to finish by, uh, quoting back to you your own quote because I just feel like sometimes with these discussions like I said they can be a little bit triggering and it's just sort of nice to remind everybody you know what what it's all about and why we even have these conversations in the first place and why they're important so recently you said what best body means to you is entirely up to you you get to define it and it doesn't mean smaller or skinnier or disordered. It's where you're dancing your best, most confident, happiest and healthiest. So I want everyone to remember that. So that's why I thought we should finish on it. I like it. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever been quoted back to yourself before? No, I don't think I have, but that is one of the, you know, I, I did actually, I think I mentioned that one a little earlier in our chat, but that is, is so important to me that dancers know that like, when I talk about best body, it's not, it's not like the dance ballerina, what we have in our heads that as like perfect. Uh, it really is about you feeling good in your skin and you being healthy and taking care of yourself. Beautiful. Thanks, Jess. (laughs) Thank you so much, Georgia. This was awesome. Isn't Jess great? I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Now, just a little bit of housekeeping. You can find me on Instagram at The Balance Ballerina or the podcast Instagram at Balance Ballerinas. It would mean the world to me if you took a screenshot right now and shared this conversation, especially if you really enjoyed it. Or even better, head to Apple podcasts and uh, give me a five-star review helps this podcast get into the hands of other ballerinas and other people within the arts that might benefit from the content it really is a labor of love and especially if you've been listening um, for over a year now um, it would just mean the world to me if you left a review i hope you have a beautiful week i hope you have a bit of time on your hands to practice some self-care and I hope you're looking after yourself during this strange, difficult, exhausting time. Lots of love. Bye.